You may be seated. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. So we have verses 13 to 22 in our service booklets. So I invite you to open up your Bibles uh, there on the pew, in the pew, to verses 13 to 25. Here we see Jesus cleansing the temple. And he's doing this at the beginning of his ministry. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants and purify our disordered affections. That we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Every day after dinner, my family and I clean house. That's what we do. It may be only a few minutes, but it will be minutes in which everyone will chip in. Whether it is cleaning dishes or cleaning clothes or cleaning rooms, picking things up from the floor or cleaning baby Nora. We clean house. And my point is this. Our lives are messy, aren't they? And if we're not aware of how messy they are, then we need only to wait until evening and we will find out. But let us not wait until evening lest it be too late. Let us see now how disordered and how despicable, yes, despicable our hearts are. And to do this, let us start by asking the question, what made Jesus so mad? Here we see Jesus cleansing the temple. What made him so mad? Was it that he discovered the temple to be in a mess? Is this why Jesus took the time to make a whip of cords to drive all of them, the people and the animals out of the temple? Or was it something deeper? Was it something more? We're told in verse 25 that he knew what was in man's heart. But we're also told by the psalmist that he is consumed or eaten up because of his zeal for the Father's house. He speaks of judgment. He speaks of redemption. And this is what this passage is all about. He speaks of judgment. He speaks of redemption. Now certainly this was a critical moment in history. There were events that have occurred that contributed to Christ's passion. Namely, that Christ was the greatest embodiment of God. He was God in the flesh. Even in the temple's best day, it did not embody the presence of God like Christ. The Ark of the Covenant had been vacant from the Holy of Holies for hundreds of years. This place that was to be spiritual had become repugnantly carnal. And it was a heinous crime. It was utter hypocrisy. Make believe the religious were serpents posed as doves. They were whitewashed tombs, 
pretty on the outside, but rotting on the inside. However, we interpret this passage. One thing is clear. This passage concerns judgment. Judgment first and foremost. Jesus says, destroy this temple. It's reminiscent of the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C. when Israel was exiled into Babylonian captivity. Yes, this temple for which Christ stood was reminiscent of paganism, not peace. When Jesus says, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. In verse 16, he's using the word that's derived from the word Canaanite. The word trade, Kananu. This is a house of peace, not a house of paganism. This is a house of peace because it is the house of the Father. This is where God works, not man. What was meant for peace had become pagan. Not only was Christ there to fulfill the spiritual law and replace this temple with a greater temple, he was there to be eaten up, to be consumed by zeal for the Father's house. He is zealous and jealous for his Father's house so that he is not only numbered with the transgressions, he is not only judgment, but he is the only redeemer of souls. He is redemption. This was the Passover. This was the festival that celebrated the propitiation of God, whereby God's wrath was appeased through the sacrificial lamb. But now on this feast, feast anything reminiscent of that sacred institution seemed to have disappeared. The sacrificial animals that used to be purchased and procured far from the temple were now being purchased in the temple. Worship had been reduced to ritual, not relationship. It was about the work of man, not the work of God. The place of trust had become a place of transaction. The place of spiritual covenant had become a place of carnal convenience and control. You see, transaction is a matter of seizing control. It's a matter of purchasing and making a payment to possess. You see, the heart of Christ's zeal and holy jealousy is that he knew what was in man's heart. But he also knew what he needed to do to atone for it. You see, this passage is about judgment and it's about redemption. This is not just Jesus in his righteous indignation. This is Jesus in his good pleasure to save. His displeasure was not as much with man as it was with the sinfulness of man. And his passion was not a reckless fury, but a holy and jealous love to possess the father's house and the father's children. Yes, he was zealous to pay the price of persecution. He was zealous to be the paschal lamb that takes away sin. He knew the purpose of the law. He knew that it was spiritual, as Paul states in our epistle reading. 
Yes, the purpose of the law was to fulfill only what God could fulfill. He was the lamb that was silently and willingly led to the slaughter. For it is God's God who works in you, child of God. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We read in verse 17 that his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. You see, this is a quote from Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is not so much about the psalmist's anger or emotion, but about being persecuted and being threatened. You see how Christ is showing that he is the Passover lamb? That was willing to be slayed and persecuted for the salvation of sinners. He was the work and he is the reward. He is that lamb that is willing and silently led to the slaughter. Beloved, the kingdom of heaven is near. What is the application of this passage? It is that we repent and believe that we turn away from the flesh and we turn to Christ. Let us turn from pretending to seize and control our own value to trusting in the one who gives us immeasurable value for all eternity. The four Gospels together show that not only did Jesus begin his ministry with cleansing the temple, but he ends his ministry with cleansing the temple. There's rich and deep meaning in these two acts of Christ's cleansing of the temple. He shows that he is not only the payment, but the reward. He replaces this temple with a new and improved temple. He replaces the temple of man with the temple of God. See how the law is not so much for man, but it is for God. Yes, we delight in the law for the through it. God works. He exposes the wickedness of our hearts through it. But it is God who works, not man. It is Christ Jesus who is the fulfillment of the law. And notice how our gospel reading this morning is paired with readings that emphasize the law. The Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Paul's description of the law and the wickedness of the human heart in Romans 7. And the psalmist's delight in the law in Psalm 19. Why is Christ so zealous. Other gods are being worshipped instead of the true and the only God. The sin that is being committed is that of the first commandment. And so with the Apostle Paul, we ask, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And we answer with him by saying, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This body is not our home. Our home is that we are engrafted and enjoined into that mystical body, the temple of God. 
Jesus is the only one who will deliver us. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story of his good pleasure. God rescues his people from slavery to sin. You see, we are enslaved to not believing in the God who speaks and saves, but believing in ourselves and in others. What makes Jesus so righteously indignant? It's the sin of idolatry. What makes Jesus so impassioned with a holy jealousy, with a good pleasure to save? It is the zeal of the good news of Christ. And so I ask, do we relish the gospel of our Lord? If so, then we must first see that we have gods before him. You cannot believe in Christ if you do not repent from your sin. Will we confess that we are like those in that old temple? God rescues his people from slavery to sin through the sacrificial blood of the lamb. Do we see his good pleasure in being the substitute and sacrifice and being our victory? He rescues you and me. Our works don't matter. His work is all that matters. Why did he do this seemingly reckless thing? He did it because of his good pleasure for us. He did it to to build his people into a royal nation. He did it to build them into kingdom of priests. He did it to build them into the temple of God. You see, Jesus is not simply cleansing the temple. He is replacing it with a greater and a more glorious reality. The holiness of God is being expanded and it is reconciling people to himself. He is calling his children home. And the one that he is replacing this temple with is the one that not only joins us to that heavenly temple with the Father, but fills us even now with that heavenly spirit. And this is why the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, he says, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God. In your body. Church, let us be eager to maintain that blessed unity of the Holy Spirit. Let us be eager to practice the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That we might enjoy and that we might celebrate. Yes, that we might rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. That we not live in anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we might make our requests known. And you know what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the Old Testament law of which the Ten Commandments stand, is God's grace. We cannot have the gospel without the law. 
It is this grace of God that David, the grace of God's law that David is moved to such an understanding and gives such an expression of love and appreciation for it. He says in Psalm 19, which we heard earlier, that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, giving wisdom to the simple and light to the eyes. This is why after meditating on this gracious gift of God, the psalmist says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Later, he says something similar in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. People of God, may the grace of God expose us to the wickedness of our hearts. May the grace of God expose us to the wickedness of our hearts so that we might inhabit that heavenly temple and our bodies might be temples of the Holy Spirit. So let us pray. Let us fast. That God would awaken us to our grievous ways. May He make us contrite that He might confirm us into His mystical body. How can we ever believe in such an outrageous claim that we are temples of the Holy Spirit and that we are engrafted into the temple of God? Is it not by the power of Christ's resurrection? Look at Christ's work. Look at Christ's reward. And by looking to Him, we will remember And believe, just as we are told in verse 22, that the disciples remembered and believed after Christ's resurrection. And so let us remember and let us believe in the grace upon grace that we have received. May the law of God expose the wickedness of our hearts so that the fulfillment of the law of Jesus Christ make our hearts to worship him in spirit and in truth. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.